Welcome everyone. This is Carlos from SeedCamp. Uh, today we have Bryce Keane, uh, founder and director of Albion Drive and also founder of the Three Beards, uh, a, a great institution and one of the key uh, generators of meetups in, in, in Silicon Roundabout area. And as we all know, uh, if you've been following our podcast for a while, we'd love to get into the nitty gritty of who people are. And with that, Bryce, Maybe you can help us understand uh, what you were um, when you started off from college. Were but you before in I had a beard? You mean before you had a beard? Before, before I was a strange tech wizard from yeah. the roundabout. So what, yeah. well, how did you start? Were you a, you know what kind of major were you? Um, God, it's going way back. Um, so I grew up in a military family, Australian military. My father was in the army, so we moved every two years from when I was born to when I was about. 15, I think, uh, including a couple of stints in the States. My brother was born there. Um, grew up in Melbourne. Uh, I'm Australian, although I'm deeply, deeply undercover. Please don't report this to the UK government. Joking, I'm legal. I'm totally legit now. Um, we, I did a, so I did a Bachelor of Social Science, um, which is kind of a general degree on like politics, environment. I did a bit of PR and journalism stuff on that. And then I went and did a postgrad PR. Although, ironically, uh, which I find kind of funny today. Uh, they didn't actually let me into the undergrad PR degree, which is ironic. Uh, many, many years later, running an agency, uh, I think about those days. But Australia is a small place, you see. The world is a big adventure. Why did they reckon they did that? I mean, were you just like your grades? or? No, I was. Um, I grew up... Um, I kind of grew up in the sort of uh, mid to late 90s, early 2000s punk rock scene. So the whole skate punk thing, which took off uh, after sort of Southern California, took off big time in Australia, I think it was the first market. So... Uh, I was uh, a baggy t-shirt wearing black hair dyed long short wearing kind of skateboard looking bloke um, and the PR course uh, despite its best intentions of denial still attracts a sort of a more of a, a very what we call a stereotypical uh, PR image um, mm. a very sort of Paris Hilton-y look-alike type thing and you can imagine what a guy from the northeast suburbs of Melbourne uh, with a long black fringe and baggy shorts looked like in an interview but those were many years ago one must learn and adapt with the times. Well, the, the good thing is that uh, we'll get your views on, on PR and firms and, and what. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> How long have you got? Well, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But, all right. So clearly, clearly you, you went through a series of different sort of uh, tracks there. And then when you, know, you, you it sounds like you had within you this desire to sort of enter the space that you're in right now. And then what, yeah. so what was, what was the first job afterwards? I mean, obviously, were you still skating when you graduated or? I, I, I had to, um, I did have to clean up my act a little bit by the time. It was sort of five years at uni, but I, I, I started quite young. I sort of started when I was 17, so I finished when I was about 21, I think, with a couple of degrees. And weirdly enough, my, my first job actually, which has obviously played a massive part in why I'm here, was I was the first employee uh, of a small international business-to-business -business PR agency uh, that was based out of London and uh, my boss who had just moved back he was a couple of years older than me he just moved back from five years in London and he said in my job interview do you want to travel and I was like yes because I'd basically done high school undergrad postgrad and then there I was in the job interview I said yes he said all right give me two years of hard work help me set this office up help me build a team uh, and I'll make sure there's a job waiting for you in London and he delivered me to London two years to the month believe it or not two years to the month. Oh. So that was... Can you name check him as a thank you? Uh, I can name check him because he's fantastic. He's a good friend and still a very good mentor. His name is Paul Manser and he is the Asia Pacific Director now for uh, Mulberry Marketing Communications. Not the handbags. Uh, I did have to stop myself from saying yes when 
young ladies got very excited when I say work for Mulberry, uh, many a house party, and then I had to say, uh, business, business communications. <laughs> I kept it real though. I kept it real. It was tough. It was tough. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a popular kid at school, so you can imagine how that went down. But um, no, it, uh, and he's he's still there uh, running Asia Pack, um, one of the best, uh, the few I would say PR people I've worked with that I would hold in extremely high regard. Um, and actually, it's probably to that point kind of delivered me into London. And uh, London, I think you know, I didn't know anyone, so I moved other side of the planet basically didn't know anyone uh went for the job so went to the london office worked for the guy that kind of owned the company um and that was tough actually that was really tough uh, my first two and a half years um i did a year and a half at the london office and then i moved to another small agency in soho um both kind of owner managed um and it was it was very difficult um i think i learned a lot about actually i probably learned more in my first two and a half years in london about what i would never do were I ever to be in a position of power or in charge or growing my own agency, not thinking that was ever possible. I'm assuming that that statement actually is a couple of two things. One, in terms of management style, and two, in terms of how to deal with clients. Yeah, I mean, my client my client stuff was always good because I was always more interested in what people were doing um, yeah. than I was in the politics of working in agencies because I just didn't really feel like um, they need to exist. I think, I mean, I've always been quite blatant. I think, you know, PR isn't going to save the world. You know, we have this funny phrase, it's PR, not ER. Um, but I do. I think it's an important part of, of the marketing mix. But a lot of people, I think, do get really wound up in their kind of insecurity about it's the ultimate and the only thing. And I think actually that's not particularly healthy. Uh, and, and 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 you know, and I learned that by being a sort of you know sort of a mid level kind of person. And I think. Um, but when I moved on to this second small agency in Soho, the this is kind of where it began. So I had Albion as a client. Um, and they all they talked about was VCs, entrepreneurs, seed stage, series A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, J, K. Um, and I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. So I thought, um, I was like, I'd, but I needed to get my head around it real quick because they move really fast. So, you know, that was, that was their world. And this is where it all kind of started to get a bit interesting. So the rest of the job was pretty ho-hum, to be honest. Um, Albion were quite interesting. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try to get better at it. So I started going out to meetup groups, and this was about four years ago now in London. So wow. Maybe four, Time no, flies. Five. Five, actually. It was five years yeah. ago in London. And at that point... I think it's when we met, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was very early on, actually. So And it was and, you know, it was interesting at that time, because there was already there was already a scene, and there were some key companies that were there. Um, but it was that weird point where... Um, like social media and digital was kind of overlapping with tech. It hadn't quite galvanized yeah. fully, but it had begun. And so I started going out to whatever I could find on Twitter because um, yeah. I wasn't on Twitter until I moved to London and I thought that was something I should do. Yeah. Um, and it was useful because I, so I started following people and I started sort of looking for things. I was like, I need to just... And also remember, I didn't know anyone. Yeah. So you got to remember, it's very difficult to start a network from nothing mm. for a start. Not, you know, not having any close friends or whatever. So I was like, well, I better just, I can either sit here and be miserable and do my nine to five, or I can actually go out and challenge myself and see, see what's going on. So, so that's where I went. And I went to a little, um, a monthly, uh, tweet up. I'm using the, uh, finger quotation marks for this one. <laughs> tweet up for those of uh, our wonderful listeners. Um, that was happening in Shoreditch at that time. And I, um, I got there, didn't know anyone. And, um, no one kind of really spoke to me except these two guys called Ben and Mike. Mm-hmm. And Ben, Mike, and I had all come alone and uh, didn't know anyone. I thought probably how we end up sort of 
chatting. It was in the basement of, I believe, Dragon Bar in, in Shoreditch High Street. Uh, got, <clears throat> shall we say, quite uh, happy on the old uh, white Sambucas. I think we tried to invent the hashtag Sambuca Networking that night. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one for the, for the, for the listeners. Um, went our separate, had a great time, went our separate ways, didn't speak again. Um, month later, decided to revisit because it was a monthly event. Yeah. Guys were there again. Same thing happened. Um, we thought, okay, well, this is, I mean, yeah, we all get along and we're all very different. So I was obviously in the PR background. Um, Mike was a web designer working agency in Soho. Ben uh, was, had never gone to uni, freelance coder, developer, jack of all trades, had gone like straight into working for Jagex in Cambridge out of high school mm. um, and then ended up at um, Tap2. Uh, weirdly enough, and then they sent him over to the US to mm. help with their Colorado office, I think, at one point. Mm. Um, that obviously story is quite well documented. It, I don't think it went particularly well, but he came back, and, it, and we'd met just at the time he was coming back to London to figure out what the hell do I do next. So you had these three kind of guys who were sort of interested in, in what was going on, but we were, we were on the outside in a, in a way. We weren't, we, we weren't connected by any means. We were just kind of nice guys. Um, so we decided we'd start going to some other events, right? Because we had a good time going to yeah. events. We went to quite a few. We went to somewhere you paid £10 and sat on the floor and bought your own beers to listen to somebody speak, which was a bit weird. We went to somewhere again, nobody talked to us. So we kind of got together and um, on a Saturday afternoon at the Queen of Hoxton, I remember it still to this day quite clearly, on the rooftop. Nice on but the rooftop. At this point, it's still not yet, you still hadn't gone into Albion Drive yet. So no, still... this is long before, it's long before. Yeah. I mean, I had Albion as a client and that was what took me to go and look at these things. Yeah. But this was an agent, there was more agencies to come after that. Yeah. But we went out, and, yeah, basically Saturday afternoon on the rooftop Queen of Foxton, and we had a few beers. And we were kind of talking about this weird thing about how we'd met, but it was a bit weird because, you know, people weren't really, like, you know, if you go out on a Friday night in Shoreditch, um, everyone does kind of look a bit the same, right? So yeah. you didn't know who was there for the event, and it felt a bit like nobody was kind of facilitating that. And this was over the course of several pints, as conversations often happen on Saturday afternoon in London. And um, eventually Ben just goes, you know, sod it, let's run our own event. And we were like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, you know, we're not event people. There's loads of events in London. What are we going to do? So who cares? Who cares? Well, let's do an event for 20 people in a park. We're like, okay, that seems easy enough. 20 people in a park, that's not too hard. Okay, how are we going to... So, so I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do differently, right? Because there's lots of events, okay. So we're thinking and we're thinking and we're thinking. We're like, first thing that comes up, what's missing? So what's missing from sort of tech events at that time? Yeah. First thing that comes up, Food. <laughs> food. Food was the first thing. Okay, food. Right, we're going to do an event with food in a park for 20 people. What kind of food are we going to do? And I made the cliched Australian mistake of putting my head up and saying, barbecue. Only food that feels like a house party. It's got to be a barbecue. Better, Mike. Barbecue. You're a terrible cliche, but yes, let's do a barbecue. That's great. I love a barbecue. So, we decided to do a barbecue in a park for 20 people. Um, and lo and behold, we, we learned two things. Number one... We had 120 people sign up for our 20-person barbecue. So barbecue, that's the thing. You want to raise thing. money, just throw a barbecue. Throw a barbecue. Well, if you want to bring... We were actually, at that point, we didn't, we didn't even know how the hell we were going to pay for it. We were going to get people to pay for it. We had no idea what to do. We just like, we're going to do a barbecue. Second thing, it's apparently illegal to barbecue in the Royal Parks of London, as I learned uh, the hard well, way. Apparently, if you cook any of the birds in the Royal Parks, it's also a crime. Well, they're the swans, which yeah, are, by the way, the nastiest birds known to man. They've gotten well arrogant on that law. I oh, mean, really? we need to, I mean, somebody needs to check those swans. I used to live by a canal, man. That shit gets real down there. Right? <laughs> um, so, okay. So we had to move. We had 120 people. We're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And we had to move it to a pub. So we moved it to the 
the beer garden of the water poet on Folgate Street in Shoreditch, who, yeah. who gave us the venue 24 hours before. Bless yeah. their cotton socks. Thank you if you're listening. Uh, water poet, you guys were part of the reason we ended up working. And we raised, we managed to raise a grand total of 200 pounds from two sponsors. <laughs> Which we put, which was a huge achievement. We thought we were just like we we were rolling in it. Let me tell you, two hundred pounds. I was like, this is we've made it. We've made it now. We put it behind the barbecue, so everyone got a burger and everyone bought their beers. And that was called Digital Sizzle. And that was the first event when it was just an event that would later become the largest to this date event that the three beers run. But at that point, it was just a one-off. So we did this one-off. In fact, Michael Acton Smith was there from Mind Candy, uh, who, you, who you guys obviously all know. And um, a few other uh, faces who are still with us today, which is really cool. Um, and then basically afterwards, they, people started asking us, oh, that was great. When's the next one? When's the next one? We're like, uh-oh. <laughs> We're not events people. We've just we've done something here. Yeah. Um, and people kept asking. So then we, we did another one. And then... Um, uh, people seemed to like that and then there were more people there was like 200 people or something at the second one and, uh, and it was all just it was just all social media we had no budget we had no money every bit of money we raised from you know beg, borrow or steal from friends yep. and family went into the food and the drinks whatever, yeah. whatever we could afford so and I mean to be honest with the beards thing you know we did it was free so did that become like a full time thing then I mean how, how did no, you transition we all had jobs we all had so jobs this is the thing it was all it was all just a sort of a, a labor of love it was a side project we did every night and our weekends and so we how many years or how many months into digital sizzle slash effectively what now is probably subsumed into three beards before you made the transition into into the, the brand as yeah. it stands so what happened was after about three or four months, we'd done two, three or four months, I think, we'd done two sizzles. Michael Acton Smith approached us. He had started Silicon Drink About at about yeah. the same time. Um, and we'd been to that as punters. Yeah. The three of us, actually, because it popped up almost the same time as we started Sizzle. And um, we liked it, but if it was a bit tricky because that, like, Mind Candy were, you know, crazy and it was you know you get one tweet on 4 30 on a friday and we didn't know many of the mind candy people so if michael wasn't there we kind of weren't sure who was there for the drink about or whatever mm. so he kind of approached us one night um at a drink about that he was at and he said look you know all these people are kind of um talking about the sizzle i'm seeing it a lot online it's really great i want drink about to be like this awesome kind of friday night mm. thing but we're really like we're we're full on and we, we just don't have the resource to put the love into it. Would you guys consider kind of taking over running the Silicon Drink about in exchange for we'll be a sponsor of the Digital Sizzle, like a regular sponsor, mm. which for us was like amazing. That was the first time we had like, so like, yes, absolutely. And to be fair, again, with the Drink about, we came at that as, as like we do everything, as punters. Like we always remember mm. how, how did it feel to be going to that event, like, and not connecting or meeting people. Mm. And we just set about a, an epic task that became... So maybe maybe this is a good point to sort of pause for founder lesson number one. Yeah. So you've you've I mean obviously we're we're going to get to the point about um, your time at Albion and kind of what you've done there. But one of the things that is clear from the success of Digital Sizzle and some of these relationships you built is how to get people interested in wh what you're doing. And of course, you could flippantly answer barbecue, but I mean you, you you're a master of getting people to take an interest in something and a cause and whatever, maybe what would you distill? The number one lesson is that, you, you know, either as a mistake or as, as something you've synthesized that, that people could use. So I think I, yeah. And I, people kind of ask me this quite a lot. I, I think the number one thing for me is, is the team. The team was so, um, 
complementary but accidental. So yeah. if you think about those three skill sets, you've got someone who knows kind of PR and marketing, you've got someone who knows how to build a brand and yeah. design it and design the things around it, and you've got someone who knows how to actually build the shit you need online when you have no money yeah. to put up sites and Twitter accounts and you know whatever we needed, getting stuff together and getting it done. And Ben was always very also like totally like let's just do it, let's just get it done. You know, and it's weird because like you know I'm I'm sort of quite social. Mike's very much like the creative kind of the, the vision one. Yeah. And Ben was like, let's just, let's get out the door. All right, let's, let me, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. You cool. Know, kind of like when a centaur fights, you know, like a, a, a one-eyed man. What is it that you would recommend for a founder that does not have the luxury of this? He's a single individual mm-hmm. and per- perhaps gravitates towards the view of being able to execute, but not necessarily having your PR prowess. What would what would you say like the key things to consider as part of the function? You, you've divided your function and success into three parts, and you've attributed that to three people being complementary of each other. Yeah. But now let's just focus on that one area that you you did, and think about a person who's got that as a weakness, and the other two parts are parts that he has internalized. He's an executor, and he can potentially build a brand around himself. Yeah. What what would you say that the lesson would be there? So there so there's two. So that the team is obviously my first one, but there are two other parts of the beards yeah. which I think are really important. One is um, authenticity. Number mm-hmm. one, like know what you stand for, and you know don't let anybody shake that. Like yeah. like. You, uh, within that, yes, take feedback, listen to people that you trust and build a network of people around that. But, yeah. you know, know what you said for. Number two, um, always add value before you can extract it. That is the number one thing the Beards did really well. Even if it was an accident, we, were, we, were, we weren't aligned 21. We were focused on the community. So, we were very clear about that. It was always community. And we worked really hard, actually, to create a brand that was friendly, welcoming. Yeah. That was just our thing. Even if it wasn't, it was never meant to be a business, as we often joke. But, yeah. it, you know, we had to retrofit it after because it kept getting so big. If we look at that as a way of preceding a launch yep right a, a founder is building a company and he wants to to build that in your case you you had an event you advertised that event and maybe there was value you you added to people wanting to meet during the event yep but how would you how do you think about it currently in terms of how can somebody preemptively do something for someone before they then start looking at getting their brand out there as as a as a conduit of of value yeah I mean it's, it's a really good question because I think it always depends on what, what you're doing I think if you it's kind of the old thing though like if you walk into I would say like if you walk into say a birthday party right and the and say you're the Carlos you're the birthday boy and there's like you know there's 20 people around you saying happy birthday Carlos mm. and talk about your birthday and I walk in and, and start talking about my birthday do you know what I mean you can see how that's going to go down it's the same with founders I think the problem with founders is they, they think about what can I get and how quickly can I get it and who do I need to get it off rather than how do I think long term about establishing the key relationships I need to build my business by actually using what I have to add some kind of interesting value and it doesn't have to be about my product does this better at all it could be like hey um, I saw you you know if we're talking about media which I'll default to just because that's what I do it's like okay well Look, knowing who you're speaking to, knowing what they're interested in, knowing like what can you have value. You've got contacts you don't even know, right? Think about yeah. your network that can add value to the people you're talking to. Yeah. And it always just goes 100%. Like actually, I mean, we live in a such a small bubble. I know we don't think we do, but we do. And mm. it's, you know, I always say to people, it's like, be nice to people because they do remember. Like it will come back around on you. Like if you come storming in like a ball in the china shop, unfortunately, that tends to backfire inevitably mm. on a lot of people. Um, and I think it's, it's also like, for me, it's always about thinking about what the user 
it comes back to figuring out what, what does the user want. So what I want is what, is, what, is, what do my users want, I guess, in the yeah. sense of a product. For us, it was what does the community want. Yeah. That was the number one thing. It was always what does the community want? What are they asking for? How can we start to build new events? In our case, those are our products, really, our events and some of the, the, pla- the, the platforms that we have around that. But, you know, that all just came from people's feedback at every stage of the event. Oh, I'm really good if you guys could do, like, some kind of, like, demo event where we could get feedback. We built a demo event that we get feedback, you know. Oh, I love the drink about it. It's like I, I meet so many people, um, but now I'm back in Copenhagen and I really miss this. Have drink about Copenhagen. That was our first one outside London because mm. it, was a, it was an English guy whose girlfriend was Danish who'd been at our events coming. Screw it. Let's just do it. Roll it out. Like give, let's let, let the people, and that's how we yeah. drink about is now every Friday, 17 cities. We never proactively pitch drink about to anyone. Mm. it's people who've been to the London event who've approached us and we just said we'll give you stickers, t-shirts, everything, promotion, profiles, we'll build a website with local organizers and you go and do what we've done. I mean, if you want to be as crazy as and us. How do you, I mean, like right now you're obviously full time with, with Albion and and how, how do you manage that? I mean, there's, I'm sure like, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we talked about for, for example, um, founders that are in, in different locales is, is creating meetups around their uh, community so that they can bring people together and... To some extent, um, that can become a, a beast. You know, like in some ways, you've now have this two organizations, two masters. Yeah. How do you manage that? I mean, have you pretty much delegated to a team who now makes money from that, or how? how, did, how yeah. Did you... So I took a I um as uh, drive after sort of six to nine months started to get traction. It's I mean, it's it's an all encompassing beast. As anyone who's listening to this one, any founder will know, it's like terrifying for the first nine months because you basically think if you fail, you you're out. You're gonna have to go home. Um. And that was tough. I'm very lucky that I accidentally started a company with my friends on the Three Beards site because it was tough. And um, the worst, that, that is good because you can have an honest conversation. It's also bad because when, when, the, when the guys say, hey man, I know you're working, but I need you, I need you to help us set up at five o'clock at this event. You say, yeah, I'll be there. And you get to the event at 10 p.m. You're not just letting down your co-founders, you're letting down your mates, effectively. Yeah. And that was the point that it did get to. And we had to have a, and I had to sort of, I had to realize that. And I actually realized that um, I actually took a trip home um, to to Melbourne, and I remember getting home, and it was like sort of at the peak of this. And I remember getting home and just sitting down on my at my parents' place and just feeling completely burnt out. I just had nothing. I was like a mess. It was just like I was trying to juggle these two things. Cause I was trying to make everyone happy, and unfortunately, when you, as I said, when you do that, you tend to let down everyone. Like you're trying so hard. So it was. It was. I mean, that was the first time I had to learn that lesson, which is you, you know sometimes you got to focus on the mm. thing that matters, but. Um, you know, but in, in my case, of course, Ben had been already plucked from Three Beards by Number 10, mm-hmm. Downing Street, and they sort of made him the deputy CEO of Tech City for a year, did mm-hmm. that contract. So he'd stepped back from the Beards during that because mm-hmm. it was obviously he doesn't want to be, mm-hmm. those things have to be separate. Um, so he'd gone through that. He knew that feeling. I spoke to him and, you know, we kind of reached that decision. So I stepped back about uh, just over a year ago from day to day. Um, but at that time, we'd already attracted, you know, uh, Joe Scarborough, who was the fourth co-founder. Yeah. I joined a little bit later, but um, basically is this, as we call him CFO Joe, was the man with the spreadsheets who made it actually make sense as a business versus three weird-ass bearded guys yeah. drinking beers and thinking of ideas of crazy events to run. Um, and that was important because, you know, you have to remember that it, what we don't see from the outside is how much time that takes. So bearing in mind, everyone's working full-time. Every evening, every weekend, especially leading up to events, you are literally seven days a week for weeks on end because you're yeah. juggling these two beasts, as you said. So Joe helped us make sense of that. And again, remember, we didn't get paid or pay ourselves anything for the first 18 months. We didn't even charge for tickets. Everything was free. All of it was privately sponsored and everything went into the cost of the event. So food, drink, venue. That's it. 
because again, it wasn't meant to be business. It was just something that people loved, and we kept doing it because they loved it, and we liked to do it because we liked to yeah. help people, right? Um, but then when Drive, yeah, Drive started to take off and really kind of get traction in the market. And so I, how many months into Three Beards was Albion really sort of kicked off? My part of Albion, not for probably 18 months. 18 months. So you had 18 months kind of doing Three Beards as a almost full-time thing, uh, along with the other job you were doing. But Full-time like, agency job and Three Beards evenings and weekends. And then and then Albion Drive. So tell, tell us a little bit. I mean, the Three Beards thing is a theme that's going to continue to come back. So Yeah, of course. But, um, the, the Three Beards... When you decided, hey, look, I, I have this great opportunity with Albion Drive. Maybe you can tell us what that conversation yeah. was like. And then, and just for, for those of you that are listening, um, Albion Drive now, you know, we're, we're about to hear kind of the origins of it, but now he's got clients like Klarna and Twilio and Space Ape and DFJ and Brain Tribe. So these are, you know, big names. And, and I think what we'd like to explore is not just the origins of, of sort of Albion Drive and, and sort of your involvement there and growing it, but also kind of the key takeaways in terms of uh, PR, strategic communications for, yeah. for these kinds of companies. So, so maybe, yeah, we start with how, how is it that so Albion Drive came around? So, so, okay, so the, the interesting detail I, I skipped, which is where the two worlds kind of collide, is when I ran that very first digital sizzle at that pub with 120 people, yeah. my boss at the time in the, in the agency pulled me into his office the next day and went, it was a day before I went away on holiday. And he yeah. went right off at me. And he was like, you're doing this effing event and company time. And you're promoting it and all this sort of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Like right off yeah. one. I was completely shocked. I, I had no idea. Yeah. I was like, thought I was doing something good for the community. And we yeah. trying to get, you know, we work with tech companies. Like, blah, blah, um, We didn't really work with tech companies. We were with agencies, but they were interested in tech. But um, come back the next day, last day before holiday. Pulls me back in the office. He says, Bryce, I've got an idea. I'm gonna. I think Digital Sizzle could be our event, the agency's event, and we'll own it. And you can. We'll change your job into being like a community events outreach person. Um, I think that. I think it's a great idea. I've thought about it overnight. I'm just thinking. Okay, so number one, it's got nothing to do with you. Number two, there are two other people involved in this. Number three, it's got nothing to do with you. He's like, think about it. You know, on your holiday, right? Yeah. So, I came over for my holiday. First day back, bang on, pulls me in his office. Say, Bryce, what do you think about my offer? And I said, I quit, quit, I quit. I didn't have another job, I just quit. I said, I'm never gonna work in a place like this again that doesn't actually see the value for that kind of thing. And, and I quit and I went to end up getting a job at WPP uh, Conan Wolf, which is one of WPP's big, mm. and that was weirdly enough and how lives changed. When I moved, when I, was, I was 24 years old when I left Australia and I landed in London, the month before I turned 25. And all I wanted to do, like most Aussies, is go work in a big global PR agency, get some big global experience, go back to Australia and get a great job. It's very cliche, but it's that, you know, <laughs> I wasn't in tech then, you know, I was working on bloody cleaning products. He says this products. as he's wearing RM Williams boots. I, I've got to stay true at least on the ground. Oh, From the ground up. Go oh, on, Carlos. Okay, anyway, anyway, so. So I didn't, so, so, so you know, and, and that was what I wanted to do. So I went and I actually got in there and I kind of realized that um, there were some brilliant people there, lovely people. I did that job for 12 months, but it was very frustrating. I was used to kind of being a bit more agile and, and, and making my own way. And it's obviously when you go into any big organization, there's process and structure. In those 12 months, the, that was when the beards went, like really took off. There was drink about, started to go, and then we launched Don't Pitch Me Bro. So yeah. there's three events now. This is when we actually created three beards. Bear in mind, we were just known as the reason we created it, and I'm sure anyone will hopefully find this. The truth is always a bit more amusing than the fiction. But um, we basically created Three Beards as a brand because we needed to invoice sponsors, and we were invoicing sponsors from Ben's private uh, 
freelancer company in the company of ours. And we sat around and was like, oh no, we need to we need to register a company. Has anyone registered a company before? We're like, nope, 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 nope. What the hell are we gonna call our company? We've never made a company before. And we literally sat looking at each other, scratching our chins, looking for one to the other, and then one of us was like, three beards? Because <laughs> we all had beards. And we thought it was a joke, but you never tell a joke to a web designer who just designed to build a brand. Damn you, Michael Hobson, you're too good. <laughs> so he built a brand because at that point people were like those guys from Drink About or those guys from Sizzle or those guys from Don't Pitch Bro. That's what we were. Those guys from that or that, that. So we needed a brand to like build it all together and that was when the three bits came. So it didn't come till much later. Yeah. Um, and it was just to, so we could send invoices from a unified company to yeah. sponsors and then Mike just made it a beautiful, friendly, welcoming, cartoony thing that people loved that seemed to resonate really well. Uh, and and so that took off at WP. And basically then Jason Goodman, who's the founder of Albion. So Albion, just for context, Albion Drive is the PR business that I set up um, probably just over two and a half years ago. But Albion is a, a creative business partner for entrepreneurs. We've been around for 13 years uh, doing some of the biggest startups that have come out of uh, Europe. So Skype, Betfair, Innocent Kids brand, Zoopla, uh, King.com, uh, Funding Circle. Mm. I mean, you name it, they probably touched it in some way. Yeah. Not in an appropriate way, in a creative way. Oh. Um, just putting that out there. <laughs> um, at first agency I'd ever had, they had a co-working space. Didn't even know what a co-working space was when I landed in London, believe yeah. it or not. Australia's a little bit further. We're catching up, but we were a lot further behind back then. Yeah, yeah. um, and Jason just emailed me one day and said, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to come have a drink? So I lived in East London. I'd always lived in East London. I said, yeah, yeah, cool. Popped in, got a couple of drinks in, three drinks in, and, you know, just catching up. And, you know, Jason's a great guy. and You know him very well. He's, yeah, been, yeah. he's been with Seacamp since 2007. Yeah, he designed the original the logo. Did he? Yeah. Jason I'll, I'll Goodman, be... you dark horse. You never told me that. Yeah, I've been, I've been, oh. you know, help build out the, the original branding for, for Seacamp. See, yeah. I told you, mate. They've, 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 they've been everywhere. They're yeah, like, they're yeah, like yeah. these, uh, they're like the shadowy kind of Don Drapers of startups. It's like yeah. a joke about Jason. Um, bless him, he's awesome. But he kind of had a drink. We got about three drinks in. He just turned around. One minute I was kind of talking about WPP and three beards. The next minute he's like, look, you're, you know, ever since you left your old agency sucks, we're going to fire them. We want to, we want to start a PR business. You have a community on this hand and a skill set on this hand and you're not using your skill set to help your community. Yeah. Why don't you join us and start a business with me? I was 27. <laughs> I was shitting myself. That's awesome. But it was great. You know, Jason's like, I, I mean, he's again, and he's the second big kind of, I think, mentor influence in my life because he really does back people. Uh, and he's, he's a great guy. I mean, he's just very good at what he does, but he's not. I remember um, one, of the, one of the chaps that works for us now is actually um, a journalist for Wired. Mm. And when we, when we offered him the job to come join us to sort of head up our, our enterprise team, uh, he, he told me afterwards, he said, I went and asked a bunch of media. And actually, Liv Solon from Wired, uh, who's now at the, the Mirror, a tech editor at the Mirror, and she was previously a Wired the editor of Wired.co.uk, mm-hmm. had told him, if you, I would never, I would probably not go agency side, but if you ever get a chance to work with Jason Goodman, you should take it. And she said, he's so interesting because he never courts the media. And that is one interesting thing about Jason I quite like. And I'm a guy who courts the media for a living, for God's sake, but he has been behind a lot of really great things and he's never, he's never one to stand up and, and shout about it and try and promote himself. He's more kind of interested in the community, the ecosystem and all that stuff. And I, I really wow. respect that, you know. I really, no, really respect very, that. Um, um, it was one of the things that kind of, that, that, and you know, that drew me to the Albion thing. And remember, Albion had never done PR, so I'm going into this brand new thing. It was known as an ad agency, a creative agency, a product agency, but it was not known as a PR agency. So we had to start from scratch, uh, and that was terrifying. It was kind of just, it was me and, uh, and, and, and another young lady who was there. And how many people was it now? 
It's now 16 in London, 2 in Munich, and we're working on Berlin at the moment. Wow. You know, taking our time, doing our research. Um, I love so Berlin. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. It's and growing it's two well. and a half years, so it's a lot of growth, actually, for, yeah. that, for a PR agency. And that's been... Um, and that's... It's really kind of... And so, you know, one of the things that founders might be asking themselves as they're listening to this is, is you know, we talked earlier some lessons around what makes it easier for you to, to communicate uh, a message, you know, as you were sharing kind of the founding of, of Three Beards. Yeah. But... Um, now let's kind of focus on like what you as Albion Drive uh, look for in clients to be able to help them. Like when do you say, no, 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 you're too, you're too young, you're too early, it's not the right time. How, how do you make that, that curation so that founders can at least know, maybe self-curate in a way, when, when the time is right for, for a company like, like yours? Yeah, so and I've got pretty strong views about this and this, this actually feels funny enough like a lot of things in my current life actually comes from three bids. So when you run events for the tech community and you're focused on community, um, you do get a lot of people showing up. And that's part of it, right? We're welcoming everyone. Yeah. We also do get a lot of, being the only PR guy in the beard, I also got a lot of feedback over those years from young companies being like, hey, um, can I ask you something? Yeah, sure. Um, there's this agency down the street that's offering me this and they're saying they're going to get me that. Okay, let's have a chat about how that actually will work out because, you know, agencies, we're a service business. It's based on rates and levels like everything, right? Yeah. So I'm quite strong on we 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 don't do early stage but we do uh, as i say i always say it's like look you know i mean like a substantial seed round slash series a is probably where we start and it's mm -hmm. not necessarily because of the funding although i know that's always everyone's first thought and that's fine it's not that it's because before that like you really need to be focusing on your product and, and traction and, and the fact is if you put if you put your budget into pr before your product is really starting to prove itself yeah it's like putting the horse before the car like pr is important but it's a long game and the and a lot of this kind of you know that the, the the, the, the burn rate isn't long enough to chip away at the beast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's just... There's so maybe we need to define the, 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 the cart and the horse. Um, what is PR? Like, like maybe the people have this preconceived notion of what PR is. Like, what is it? Like, in, in your, by your definition, modern day, early stage tech startup PR, what is that? Because I think everybody's got these sort of paradigms of, of what that means. Yeah, and I think everybody approaches it differently. Obviously, the number one thing is people just think it's publicity. Get me press, get me press. Um, and yeah, look, that's an important part of it. And that's, yeah. that, but the reason people think that is because that's the most well-known public-facing part of it. Yeah. But there's obviously a lot more than that. So we tend to focus on, depending on the brief, there, if I was going to boil it down, we get two kinds of briefs. We either get sort of... And by brief, you mean? I mean, like, client comes in and says, I want X. Yeah. We tend to get either user or customer acquisition mm -hmm. or uh, profile raising for sort of either sort of investment, credibility, whatever it might be. Usually investment's a big factor. Now, just bearing in mind, unlike, so because this will make sense a bit later, but unlike a lot of sort of tech PR agencies, we also have a full consumer division. So we do Jose Cuevo Tequila's PR in globally. We do Ministry of Sound. Like we, you know, we... We have three different offerings, actually. But obviously, tech is our heartland, so people still put us in that bucket, which is fine. I love, I love yeah. tech. That's my background, too. Um, but we do have a broad skill set, and that was mm. one thing. The other thing about reason I joined Albion, and this is really, really important, uh, and this is why I did it, is because they had everything else, everything else I wanted to, mm. to play with in the marketing yeah. mix except PR. And I think, and it comes back to my original point, you know, PR won't 
it's not here to save the world. It's really important, but it's important if you've got someone who's thinking about this as part of an integrated mix. Yeah. So we work, we have a full data and analytics team that just does like performance marketing, message testing, user acquisition. We can combine, we can feed them our, our coverage. Like, I mean, so most PR agencies like, boom, there's your coverage. There's your article in TechCrunch or the Times yeah. or the FT or what have you. Um, for us, that's kind of the start of the journey. So yeah, that takes a hell of a lot of work and you get that in there. Yeah. But once you have that, we take that, hand it to our data team, they then take that content and they put it through, they find the target market for the startup or the company and they go and say, why wait for people to find the story? We can now take the story to them, right? We, can, we have more access to more data than we've ever had before and like across all channels, right? right? But, so, but that's kind of like, it's great to hear how Albion has all these components, but if you kind of put yourself back in the shoes of a founder who, who might having to do this internally by himself, yeah, it sounds to me, if I understood you correctly, that there is the element of just getting coverage Right, but then there is the, another element, which is by understanding the kind of content you have, you then can repurpose it for other channels. other other yeah. channels. So maybe you can you can elaborate on that, not from like the, the sort of obviously, if you have the ability to engage with an Albion Drive, that's awesome, right? Yeah. But if, if you don't and you have to do that by yourself, how how would you think about structuring both what's a sort of awareness campaign, but then later a long tail sort of uh, content campaign. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I guess, yeah, so I probably started with the, the press stuff, but yeah, I think for, for a lot of what we do, it's strategic comms. So we look at, uh, you know, whether it's a market entry, whether it's like, what's the long-term goal? What's the roadmap? Yeah. Where are we going? What, you know, what are you doing? And, and basically matching um, the comms across channels to that. So the thing that you go to market with, your first story, isn't always going to be your story, right? It's the point of mm. stories, they grow and evolve. Yeah. Um, when you just focus on coverage, you do one thing tactically yeah. and you go, boom, that's it and it's done. That's actually not how it works, right? Yeah. So if we're looking at people like um, Klarna, yeah. for example, uh, or Brain Tribe, you know, we, we, the sort of UK market entry stories. So it's a, it's a new thing. With Klarna, it was like they had this big pedigree. There was a lot of people looking at them. So there's a big bang launch. We had to really kind of nail that and all that sort of usual stuff. Yeah. But of course, then immediately from that, the first questions we get asked after all of the Europe's answer to Apple Pay and, uh, you know, the big U.S. payment companies is here and uh, it's from Sweden. Everyone loves Sweden. We all, I love Sweden. Um, <laughs> immediately after that, like, okay, who's using it? Yeah. And, of course, as part of the strategy, you then shift immediately to kind of immediately following sort of big launch stuff. So it's got awareness. You shift to targeting retailers, right? You have to because it's a long onboarding process. And then from that, we'll then have, we have a consumer strategy mapped out. Yeah. But when it gets to start being people actually start using it, we need to educate the people. Yeah. So, like, things like that, I mean, that's a a very micro example but I think it's thinking about the long term story I think it's thinking about what you've got I think it's thinking creatively about what you've got and what you can do mm. on a shoestring it costs you it costs you nothing to uh, to download opinion and start podcasting like we're doing right now I think it costs you nothing to get you can get a fairly decent camera that you can do a lot of video content with mm. uh, which you can have fun with um, anybody can sign up um and start playing around with the back end of Facebook and start doing message testing. It doesn't require a lot of media spend to mm. test your messages. The other thing, I mean, look, I've done talks for you guys before actually in London about this. And let, let's mm -hmm. talk about, you know, and, and the other stuff is, and I did, a, I've done talk for CKM on this, which is, you know, nobody's born a good PR person. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a myth, right? All it, like, it's a myth. You, all it is is like any job in the world, right? So you learn some basic things and then you just practice and you practice and you do your homework and you do research and that all this stuff like the stuff that you know a lot of it the stuff that agencies do these you know a lot of founders can do in-house right so here's one rule right one easy tactic get a spreadsheet make it a google doc and start recording like 
if you're pre-launch, for example, mm-hmm. start like going to Google, find your top five competitors, and it doesn't mean direct competitors, but people you might be compared to, people mm-hmm. that might dismiss you, saying, "Oh, that's just like this." And first of all, know your USP. Second of all, go back and start researching all the coverage that those five things. Start recording it. F- record who has written it, when, where. Start to track the journey of those brands if they're ahead of you. So maybe they started in TechCrunch and then they moved into the papers and then they moved into yeah. the glossies, for example, if it's fashion. I mean, yeah. you know, like List is a great, uh, fantastic company. Great example of that. You know, started in tech, uh, then moved very quickly into newspapers. Now are very much like consumer glossy broadcast. And it's an interesting story. It's a, you know, it's a tech company, but it's a fashion e-commerce kind of place. So practice, just like do your research. Like no, and like this is the thing that even. You know, after sort of, I don't know, 10, 12 years or however long I've been in PR, God forbid, um, agencies still get wrong, right? They, 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 you know, agency people still get wrong that they, they think about, and I, I tell my team this kind of on a daily slash weekly basis, you know, never talk to a journalist like the story you want written because you, you're done. Mm. Like step one, you're done, right? If you walk, again, back to that old thing, if you walk in, add value before you can extract it. If you walk in and be like, my thing is the best thing in the world and you should write about it because it's awesome. Like, who cares? Who cares? And you're, and also you're not unique. Yeah. Like you, you have, you know, it's think about put your put put your shoes, put your feet in the other shoes, right? Yeah. That's the wrong metaphor, but it's yeah. been a long day. Um, but so, yeah, please so basically help, helping the journalists sort of create a story. Yeah. And then find out what stories they're interested in writing about, and then and add value. And then adding value. Look at your contact network. Look at your thing. Like establish yourself as a source. I still get more journalists ringing me because of three beards. Because they know I we that we had this network of like doing stuff on the ground and people drop the ring and be like hey yeah. look um and I would be very upfront I'd be like I have a one client and I have five that aren't here's the list you know like and we still I still get that now and that's a fantastic thing but that's come from years of slog you know at the yeah. same time but it's a nice thing like it's a nice thing for people to ask you and you know I always, but you think it's reasonable and doable by a founder who's not who doesn't come from the communications background like you do yeah. Because to be honest, like journalists always want to know about companies generally directly they'll prefer. Look at the network, um, go to things, show up, be yeah. present. This is not rocket science. And you are no different to a PR person agency. Do you know how many people, PR people in agencies ring people all day and never bother to go meet them? Yeah. Seriously, like it's, it's terrifying. So, yeah. you know, I mean, the good ones have built relationships. They've built it over a long time. Yeah. There's no reason why a founder can't build that relationship over a long period of time. And yeah. all the best founders, a lot of your cohort, in fact, have all done this really yeah. well, right? They've all built these relationships slowly but surely over time. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was doing a, I was doing a panel with um, with Mark Scott, you know, from the New York Times, yeah. the European Tech Reporter, and yeah. he said this really great thing. He said, um, you know, I always want to know about stuff. But obviously, you know, my pipeline is kind of this way at one end and, you know, quite, quite small at the other. Yeah. He said, but the one thing, like, the, he called it the, they call it the TikTok, the TikTok at the New York Times, which is keep talking to us um, because at the point in which we write about you, you might be later on, but all of the stuff you've done in your backstory, it becomes the story. Uh, but it's, yeah. but like showing up and paying like, look at this amazing thing I've done and how good it is and here's my story without any kind of prior engagement, FaceTime, adding value, offering sources or advice or whatever or comment doesn't go very far. So, yeah. but it is worth doing. Like there, it's what he's kind of saying is it, it does matter mm. and it takes time. Interrelation of people and press. Yeah. I mean, look, you know what they say? Like the, you know, every overnight success took 10 years, right? Yeah. 
Fair enough. Well, talking about founders, um, I th there's a few of them that are trying to get into the room to grab their luggage. So maybe what we can do is uh, get your final thoughts, as we always like to conclude. Yes. Um, with an opportunity for you to shamelessly plug something you really passionate about. Now, we've, we've talked okay. about Three Beards, we've talked about Albion Drive, um, and maybe whatever it is, whether it's a way founders can get plugged in or some other cause you find really uh, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, look, I wouldn't, I can't, I hope nobody actually listens to all this. I wouldn't listen to myself for half an hour. I don't think my mother would. So I think instead of plugging crappy PR stuff, I'm going to plug a party because everybody loves a party. And um, When's the party happening? The party's happening on the 29th of May. Okay. It is the fourth birthday of Silicon Drinkabout, if you can believe that. What? Now started in East London, now in 17 cities around the world, even in South America. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah, working on Sydney. I'm, I'm trying to get Sydney and Melbourne, but that's taken a while. Um, 29th of May, El go to... Tomadero de Silicon. Uh, indeed. Indeed, sir. They're very difficult to get them over for the meetups, though. Um, bless their cotton socks. They're lovely. Um, <laughs> so go to number3-beards.com. Sign up for the stash, which is our weekly newsletter. And the tickets are free. We, just got, we have a very, very big thing planned, but you just got to get registered for a free ticket because our space is kind of limited to... I don't know, 500. Cool, I'm going to do that right now. Yeah, get on that, mate. Right. Um, and come and have a beer, because I will be there, and um, along with all the other beards and a bunch of other really nice people from the community, um, come and have a beer with us. Um, my final thoughts, um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Um, just be nice to people, pay it forward. Like, it's a very small scene, and uh, you'd be amazed how quickly things come around. So, you know, as I said, just, just focus on adding value before you extract it. Sounds good. All right, guys. With that, thanks, Bryce. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I think uh, I have a beer. Yeah. See you next time. Let's go grab a beer and then and see you at the at the next event. The drink about twenty ninth of May. All right. <laughs>